Hello and welcome to Sleep Cove, the podcast and YouTube channel helping you get a good night's sleep. I hoped you enjoyed last week's double bill of bedtime stories and this episode will also be a double bill. First starting with Alice in Wonderland Chapter 5, followed by the grim fairy tale Tom Thumb. If you like the Alice in Wonderland Chapter 5 read, please remember that there are other chapters also on the podcast, as well as all the previous chapters being ad and intro free on the Patreon. So if you wish to support the podcast, please go to patreon.com slash sleepcove to find out how you can support and get bonus content on a weekly basis. After I have read out Alice in Wonderland Chapter 5, I'll introduce the sponsor of this episode, BetterHelp, and that will then lead into Tom Thumb. Please do not listen to this sleep recording or any other sleep recording whilst driving or operating heavy machinery. Please listen in a place where you can safely go to sleep. And let's begin. Alice in Wonderland Chapter 5 Advice from a Caterpillar The Caterpillar and Alice looked at each other for some time in silence. At last the Caterpillar took out the hookah out of its mouth and addressed her in a languid, sleepy voice. Who are you? said the Caterpillar. This was not an encouraging opening for a conversation. Alice replied rather shyly, I, I hardly know sir, just at present, at least I know who I was when I got up this morning, but I think I must have changed several times since then. What do you mean by that? said the caterpillar sternly, explain yourself. I can't explain myself, I'm afraid, sir, said Alice, because I am not myself, you see. I don't see, said the caterpillar. I'm afraid, I can't put it more clearly, Alice replied very politely, for I can't understand it myself to begin with, and being so many different sizes in a day is very confusing. It isn't, said the caterpillar, well perhaps you haven't found out so yet, said Alice, but when you turn into a chrysalis, you will someday, you know, and then after that, into a butterfly, I should think you feel it a little queer, won't you? Not a bit, said the caterpillar, well perhaps your feelings may be different, said Alice, all I know is it would feel very queer to me. You, said the caterpillar, who are you? Which brought them back again to the beginning of the conversation. 
Alice felt a little irritated at the caterpillars making such very short remarks as she drew herself up and said very gravely, I think you ought to tell me who you are first. Why? said the caterpillar. Here was another puzzling question, and as Alice could not think of any good reason, as the caterpillar seemed to be in a very unpleasant state of mind, she turned away. Come back, the caterpillar called after her. I have something important to say. This sounded promising, certainly. Alice turned and came back again. Keep your temper, said the caterpillar. Is that all? said Alice, swallowing down her anger as well as she could. No, said the caterpillar. Alice thought she might as well wait, as she had nothing else to do. And perhaps, after all, it might tell her something worth hearing. For some minutes it puffed away without speaking, but at last it unfolded its arms, took the hookah out of its mouth again, and said, So you think you're changed, do you? I'm afraid I am, sir, said Alice. I can't remember things as I used and I don't keep the same size for ten minutes together. Can't remember what things, said the caterpillar. Well, I've tried to say, how doth the little busy bee? But it all came different, Alice replied, in a very melancholy voice. Repeat, you are old, Father William, said the caterpillar. Alice folded her hands and began. You are old, Father William, the young man said, and your hair has become very white, and yet you incessantly stand on your head. Do you think at your age it is right? In my youth, Father William replied to his son, I feared it might injure the brain, but now that I am perfectly sure I have none, why, I'll do it again and again. You are old, said the youth, as I mentioned before, and have grown most uncommonly fat, yet you turned a back somersault in at the door, pray, what is the reason of that? In my youth, said the sage, as he shook his grey locks, I kept all my limbs very supple. By the use of this ointment, one shilling the box, allow me to sell you a couple. You are old, said the youth, and your jaws are too weak for anything tougher than suet, yet you finish the goose with the bones and the beak. Pray, how did you manage to do it? In my youth, said his father, I took to the law, and argued each case with my wife, and the muscular strength which it gave to my jaw has lasted the rest of my life. You are old, said the youth, one hardly 
would suppose that your eye was as steady as ever, yet you balanced an eel on the end of your nose. What made you so awfully clever? I have answered three questions, and that is enough, said his father. Don't give yourself airs. Do you think I can listen all day to such stuff? Be off, or I'll kick you downstairs. That's not said right, said the caterpillar. Not quite right, I'm afraid, said Alice timidly. Some of the words have got altered. It is wrong from beginning to end, said the caterpillar decidedly, and there was silence for some minutes. The caterpillar was the first to speak. What size do you want to be, it asked. Oh, I'm not particular as to size, Alice hastily replied. Only one doesn't like changing so often, you know. I don't know, said the caterpillar. Alice said nothing. She had never been so much contradicted in her life before, and she felt she was losing her temper. Are you content now? said the caterpillar. Well, I should like to be a little larger, sir, if you wouldn't mind, said Alice. Three inches is such a wretched height to be. It is a very good height indeed, said the caterpillar angrily, rearing itself upright as it spoke. It was exactly three inches high. But I'm not used to it, pleaded poor Alice in a piteous tone. She thought of herself. I wish the creatures wouldn't so easily be offended. You'll get used to it in time, said the caterpillar, and it put the hookup into its mouth and began smoking again. This time Alice waited patiently until it chose to speak again. In a minute or two, the caterpillar took the hookah out of its mouth and yawned once or twice and shook itself. Then it got down off the mushroom and crawled away into the grass, merely remarking as it went, one side will make you grow taller and the other side will make you grow shorter. One side of what? The other side of what? thought Alice to herself. Of the mushroom, said the caterpillar, just as she had asked it aloud, and in another moment it was out of sight. Alice remained looking thoughtfully at the mushroom for a minute, trying to make out which were the two sides of it, and as it was perfectly round, she found this a very difficult question. However, at last she stretched her arms round as far as they would go, and she broke off a bit of the edge with both hands. And now, which is which, she said to herself, and nibbled a little of the right hand bit to take effect. The next moment she felt a violent blow underneath her chin. It had struck her foot. She was a good deal frightened by this sudden change. She felt that there was no time to be lost, and she was shrinking rapidly, 
so she set to work out to eat some of the other bit. Her chin was so pressed closely against her foot, there was hardly room to open her mouth. But she did at last, and managed to swallow a morsel of the left hand bit. Come, my head's free at last, said Alice in a tone of delight, which changed into alarm in another moment, when she found that her shoulders were nowhere to be found. All she could see when she looked down was an immense length of neck which seemed to rise like a stalk out of a green sea of leaves that lay far below her. Where can all the green stuff be, said Alice, where have my shoulders got to, and oh my poor hands, how is it I can't see you, she was moving them about as she spoke, but no result seemed to follow except a little shaking among the distant green leaves. As there seemed to be no chance of getting her hands up to her head, she tried to get her head down to them, and was delighted to find that her neck would bend about easily in any direction, like a serpent. She had just succeeded in curving it down into a graceful zigzag and was going to dive in among the leaves, but she found to be nothing but the tops of the trees under which she had been wandering. When a sharp hiss made her draw back in a hurry, a large pigeon had flown into her face and was beating her violently with its wings. Serpent, screamed the pigeon. I am not a serpent, said Alice indignantly. Leave me alone. Serpent, I say again, repeated the pigeon, but a more subdued tone, and added with a kind of sob, I've tried every way, and nothing seems to suit them. I haven't the least idea what you're talking about, said Alice. I've tried the roots of trees, I've tried banks, I've tried hedges, the pigeon went on, without attending to her. But those serpents, there's no pleasing them. Alice was more and more puzzled, but she thought there was no use in saying anything more till the pigeon had finished. If it wasn't trouble hatching enough the eggs, said the pigeon, but I must be on the lookout for serpents night and day. Why, I haven't had a wink of sleep in these three weeks. I'm so very sorry you've been annoyed, said Alice, who is beginning to see its meaning. And just as I'd taken the highest tree in the wood, continued the pigeon, raising its voice to a shriek, and just as I was thinking I should be free of them at last, they must needs come ruggling down from the sky. Ugh, a serpent. But I am not a serpent, I tell you, said Alice, I'm a, I'm a, well, what are you, said the pigeon, I can see you're trying to invent something, I'm, I'm a little girl, said Alice rather doubtfully, as she remembered the number of changes she had gone through that day, a likely story indeed, said the pigeon in a tone 
of the deepest contempt. I've seen a good many little girls in my time, but never one with such a neck as that. No, no, you're a serpent, and there's no use denying it. I suppose you'll be telling me that next you've never tasted an egg. I have tasted eggs, certainly, said Alice, who was a very truthful child. But little girls eat eggs quite as much as serpents do, you know. I don't believe it, said the pigeon. But if they do, why then, they're a kind of serpent. That's all I can say. This was such a new idea to Alice, that she was quite silent for a minute or two which gave the pigeon the opportunity of adding, You're looking for eggs. I know that well enough. And what does it matter to me that you're a little girl or a serpent? It matters a good deal to me, said Alice hastily. But I'm not looking for eggs. As it happens, and if I was, I shouldn't want yours. I don't like them raw. Well, be off then, said the pigeon in a sulky tone as it settled down into its nest. Alice crouched down amongst the trees as well as she could, for her neck kept getting entangled among the branches, and every now and then she had to stop and untwist it. After a while, she remembered that she still held the pieces of mushrooms in her hands and she set to work carefully nibbling first at one and then at the other and growing sometimes taller and sometimes shorter until she had succeeded in bringing herself down to her usual height. It was not long since she had been anything near the right size that it felt quite strange at first, but she got used to it in a few minutes and began talking to herself as usual. Come, there's half my plan done now. How puzzling all these changes are. I'm never sure what I'm going to be from one minute to another. However, I've got back to my right size. The next thing is to get that beautiful garden how is that to be done, I wonder? As she said this, she came suddenly upon an open place, with the little house in it about four feet high. Whoever lives here, thought Alice, it will never do to come upon them this size. Why, I should frighten them out of their wits. So she began nibbling at the right hand bit again, and did not venture to go near the house till she had brought herself down to nine inches high. I'm happy to introduce the sponsor of this podcast, BetterHelp, which is an online therapy service which can help you achieve your goals and unblock you from any unhappiness you may be receiving. BetterHelp assesses your needs and matches you 
with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. And there is a broad range of expertise in the BetterHelp's counsellor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide, and you can log in to your account anytime and send a message to your counsellor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions around your schedule. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counsellors if needed. It can be more affordable than traditional offline counselling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Please visit betterhelp.com slash sleepcove. That's better H-E-L-P. And join over 700,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. There's a special offer for Sleep Cove listeners for 10% off your first month when you visit betterhelp.com slash sleepcove. Tom Thumb A poor woodsman sat in his cottage one night, smoking his pipe by the fireside, with his wife sat by his side spinning. How lonely it is, wife, he said, as he puffed out a long curl of smoke, for you and me to sit here by ourselves, without any children to play about, and amuse us, while other people seem so happy and merry with their children. What you say is very true, said the wife, sighing and turning round her wheel. How happy should I be if I had but one child, if it were ever so small, nay, if it were no bigger than my thumb, I should be very happy and love it dearly. Now, Odd as you may think, it came to pass that this good woman's wish was fulfilled. Just in the very way she had wished it for, not long afterwards, she had a little boy, who was quite healthy and strong, but not much bigger than my thumb. So they said, well, we cannot say we have not got what we wish for, and little as he is, we love him dearly and they called him Thomas Thumb. They gave him plenty of food, yet for all they could do, he never grew bigger, but kept just about the same size as he had been when he was born. Still, his eyes were sharp and sparkling, and he soon showed himself to be a clever little fellow, who always knew well what he was about. One day, as the woodman was getting ready to go into the wood to cut fuel, he said, I wish I had someone to bring the cart after me, 
for I want to make haste. Oh, father, cried Tom, I will take care of that. The cart shall be in the wood by the time you want it. Then the woodman laughed, he said, how can that be? You cannot reach up to the horse's bridle. Never mind that, father, said Tom. If my mother will only harness the horse, I will get into his ear and tell him which way to go. Well, said the father, we will try for once. When the time came, the mother harnessed the horse to the cart and put Tom into his ear, and he sat there. The little man told the beast how to go, crying out, go on, and stop, as he wanted. And thus the horse went on just as well as if the woodman had been driving it himself into the wood. It happened that as the horse was going a little too fast, and Tom was calling out, gently, gently, two strangers came up. What an odd thing that is, one said. There is a cart going along, and I hear a little carter talking to the horse. But yet, I can see no one. That is queer indeed, said the other. Let us follow the cart and see where it goes. So they went on into the wood till at last they came to the place where the woodman was, where Tom, seeing his father, cried out, See, father, I am here with the cart, all right and safe. Now, take me down. So his father took hold of the horse with one hand, and with the other took his son out of the horse's ear, and put him down upon a straw, where he sat as merry as he please. The two strangers were all this time looking on, and did not know what to say for wonder. At last one took the other side, and said, That little urchin will make our fortune. If we can get him and carry him about from town to town as a show, we must buy him. So they went up to the woodman, and asked how much they would take for the little man. He will be better off, said they, with us than with you. I won't sell him at all, said the farmer. My own flesh and blood is dearer to me than all the silver and gold in the world. But Tom, hearing of the bargain they wanted to make, crept up his father's coat to his shoulder, and whispered in his ear, Take the money, father, and let them have me. I will soon come back to you. So the woodman at last said he would sell Tom to the strangers for a large piece of gold, and they paid the price. Where would you like to sit? said one of them. Oh, put me on the rim of your hat. That would be a nice gallery for me. I can walk about there and see the country as we go along. So they did as he wished, and when Tom had taken leave of his father, they took him away with them. They journeyed on till it became dusky, and the little man said, Let me down, I'm tired. So the man took off his hat, and put him down on a clod of earth, 
in a ploughed field by the side of the road. But Tom ran amongst the furrows and at last slipped into an old mouse hole. Good night, my masters, he said. I'm off. Mind and look sharp after me the next time. They ran at once to the place and poked the ends of their sticks into the mouse hole. But all in vain. Tom only crawled farther and farther in, and at last it became quite dark. So they were forced to go their way without their prize, as sulky as could be. When Tom found they were gone, he came out of his hiding place. What dangerous walking it is, he said, in this ploughed field. If I were to fall for one of these great clods, I should undoubtedly break my neck. At last, by good luck, he found a large, empty snail shell. This is lucky, he said. I can sleep here very well. And in he crept. Just as he was falling asleep, he heard two men passing by, chatting together, and one said to the other, How can we rob that rich parson's house of his silver and gold? I'll tell you, cried Tom. What noise was that, said the thief, frightened. I'm sure I heard someone speak. They stood listening, and Tom said, Take me with you, and I'll soon show you how to get the parson's money. But where are you? said they. Look about on the ground, answered he, and listen where the sound comes from. At last the thieves found him out and lifted him up on their hands. You little urchin, they said. What can you do for us? Why, I can get between the iron window bars of the parson's house and throw you out whatever you want. That's a good thought, said the thieves. Come along, we'll see what you can do. When they came to the parson's house, Tom slipped through the window bars into the room, and then called out as loud as he could bawl, Will you have all that is here? At this the thieves were frightened and said, Softly, softly, speak low, that you may not waken anybody. But Tom seemed as if he did not understand them, and bawled out again, How much will you have? Shall I throw it all out? Now the cook lay in the next room, and hearing a noise, she raised herself up in her bed and listened. Meantime, the thieves were frightened and ran off a little way, but at last they plucked up their hearts and they said, The little urchin is only trying to make fools of us. So they came back and whispered softly to him, saying, Now let us have no more of your roguish jokes, but throw us out some of the money. Then Tom called out as loud as he could, Very well. Hold your hands, here it comes. 
the cook heard this quite plain, and she sprang out of bed and ran to the open door. The thieves ran off as if a wolf was at their tails, and the maid, having groped around and found nothing, went away for a light. By the time she came back, Tom had slipped off into the barn, and when she had looked about and searched every hole and corner and found nobody, she went to bed, thinking she must have been dreaming with her eyes open. The little man crawled about in the hayloft and at last found a snug place to finish his night's rest in. So he laid himself down, meaning to sleep till daylight, and then find his way home to his mother and father. But alas, how woefully was he undone. What crosses and sorrows happen to all of us in this world. The cook got up early before daybreak to feed the cows, and going straight to the hayloft, carried away a large bundle of hay, with the little man in the middle of it, fast asleep. He still, however, slept on, and did not awake till he found himself in the mouth of a cow, for the cook had put the hay into the cow's rick, and the cow had taken Tom up in a mouthful of it. Good lack a day, he said. How come I to tumble into this mill? But he soon found out where he really was, and was forced to have his wits about him, that he might not get in between the cow's teeth, and so be crushed to death. At last down he went into a stomach. It's rather dark, he said. They forgot to build windows in this room, to let the sun in. A candle would be no bad thing. Though he made the best of his bad luck, he did not like his quarters at all. And the worst of it was more and more hay was coming down and the space left for him became smaller and smaller. At last he cried out as loud as he could, Don't bring me any more hay, don't bring me any more hay. The maid happened to be just milking the cow, and hearing someone speak, but seeing nobody, and yet quite sure it was the same voice that she had heard in the night, she was so frightened that she fell off her stool, and overset the milk pail. As soon as she could pick herself up out of the dirt, she ran off as fast as she could to her master, the parson, and she said, Sir, sir, the cow is talking. But the parson said, Woman, thou art surely mad. However, he went with her into the cowhouse to try and see what was the matter. Scarcely had they set foot on the threshold when Tom called out, Don't bring me any more hay. Then the parson himself was frightened 
and thinking the cow was surely bewitched, told his man to kill her on the spot. So the cow was killed and cut up, and the stomach in which Tom lay was thrown out upon a dunghill. Tom soon set himself to work to get out, which was not an easy task, but at last, just as he had made room to get his head out, fresh ill luck befell him. A hungry wolf sprang out and swallowed the whole stomach, with Tom in it, at one gulp, and ran away. Tom, however, was not disheartened, and thinking the wolf would not dislike having someone chat with him, as he was going along he called out, My good friend, I can show you a famous street. Where's that? said the wolf. In such a house? said Tom, describing his own father's house. You can crawl through the drain in the kitchen, and then into the pantry, and there you will find cakes, ham, beef, cold chicken, roast pig, apple dumplings, and everything that your heart can wish. The wolf did not want to be asked twice, so that very night he went to the house and crawled through the drain into the kitchen and then into the pantry, and he ate and drank there to his heart's content. As soon as he had had enough, he wanted to get away, but he had eaten so much that he could not go out by the same way he came in. This was just what Tom had reckoned about, and now he began to set up a great shout, making all the noise he could. Will you be easy, said the wolf, you'll awaken everyone in the house if you make such a clatter. What's that to me, said the little man, you have had your frolic now, I've a mind to be merry myself, and he began singing, shouting as loud as he could. The woodman and his wife began, awakened to the noise, peeped through a crack in the door, but when they saw a wolf was there, you may suppose that they were sadly frightened, and the woodman ran for his axe, and his wife a scythe. Do you stay behind, said the woodman, and when I have knocked on the head, you must rip him up with a scythe. Tom heard all of this and cried out, Father, father, I'm here, the wolf has swallowed me, and the father said, Heaven be praised, we have found our dear child again, and he told his wife not to use the scythe, for fear she would hurt him. When he aimed a great blow, he struck the wolf on the head and killed him on the spot, and when he was dead, they opened him up and found Tommy and set him free. Ah, said the father, what fears we have had for you. Yes, father, answered he, I have travelled all over the world. I think in one way or other 
since we parted now, I am glad to come home and get fresh air again. Why, where have you been, said his father? I've been in a mouse hole, in a snail shell, and down a cow's throat, and in the wolf's belly, and yet I am here again, safe and sound. Well, said they, you are come back, and we will not sell you again for all the riches in the world. Then they hugged and kissed their dear little son, and gave him plenty to eat and drink, for he was very hungry, and then they fetched new clothes for him, for his old ones had been quite spoiled on his journey. So Master Thumb stayed at home with his father and mother in peace, for though he had been so great a traveller, and had done and had seen so many fine things, and was fond of telling the whole story, he always agreed, after all, there's no place like home.